Warning, incoming game. Warning, incoming game. Welcome to Incoming Game. This is the podcast where we watch... And rewatch The 90s animated series Reboot. I'm Jessica, and I've been a fan for a long time. I'm Ben, and I'm watching this for the first time. Each week, we'll take an episode, dissect it, inject some trivia, and try to find our frostiest moments. This week, the truth is out there, but trust no one. So how you doing this week, Jess? Oh, I broke my phone, so that's fun. Oh no! On the bright side, it means I get a new one, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> How are you doing? Uh, not great. I've got a little bit of uh, intestinal distress today. Some tummy trouble. Ugh, that's never fun. It's probably a virus. A computer virus. <laughs> Could be. You need some guardian soup. Oh no, guardians aren't all they're cracked up to be, apparently. Yeah, some shades of gray there we're gonna see, but I guess <laughs> we'll talk about that in a moment. Yeah, let's uh, let's get right into it. What shall we? Let's go for it. So today we're doing season two, episode nine, Trust No One. It first aired in January 25th, 1996. It was written by Mark Liren Young. So this is a new name for us. Uh, the story is by Gavin Blair, Mark Liren Young, Phil Mitchell, Irene Pearson, and Susan Turner. And we open up with our famous camera moving through mainframe shot. But we quickly pan down to the seedy underbelly where sits Al's diner. I literally wrote the phrase seedy underbelly. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing our crazy punk sprite friends again. But we don't get to see them because we go around to the back of the diner into a junk-filled alley. Right. Uh, Al's waiter appears carrying a large bag to the dumpster. And it looks like he could either be carrying a giant null or maybe Al himself. Like, did our unnamed waiter do a murder? <laughs> it's definitely a body. <laughs> But uh, as he walks back towards the diner, he almost steps in a little poopy, which he uh, picks up and smells there. <laughs> Ew, what have you been cooking? Yeah, it's something. And like, I feel like I can't tell what it is. And later on they say, and I'm like, oh, but it's something. And uh, he kind of pushes it aside, but we get this monster's eye view of him being stalked from above there's something creeping behind him ominously and he is oblivious to it but it rushes toward him as we fade to title which is kind of an interesting uh, change from the norm there yes this is all new so this whole intro is really great i thought they set the mood really well and then to cut straight to this bright green neon x-files font is uh you, you know you're in for something different and he gets uh, unceremoniously dragged off just before we cut to Mouse at the diner, bursting through like a saloon door. And Bob invites her to share with an energy shake. He has this, like, knowing grin. It's like you just know that Dot was ranting to him after last episode. Like, can you believe she had me make her a shake? <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, yeah, yeah, I, I know about that. <laughs> I like that Cecil here is not too happy to, he's like, what do you think I am, a waiter? And they're like, yes, that's, that's exactly what we think you are, Cecil. He's so put out. And for your information, it is Cecil. Yeah, he's like, what if I just started calling you Boob instead of Bob? <laughs> so we get some small talk with Mouse here, because she's still hanging around in town, and Bob's not sure why. He's like, uh, you're like, um, still here. <laughs> it's just very unlike you is all. And she, not at all suspiciously, talks about tying up loose ends. 
And just then, a junior officer bursts in to alert the chief that Al's waiter has been abducted. And then Enzo bursts in to say that Dot is missing too. And then Miss Brody bursts in to- wait, Miss Brody? Yeah, I think she's been mentioned before, or at least we've talked about Enzo's teacher. But now we get to meet Enzo's teacher, who is for some reason extremely Scottish. Oh, when Miss Matrix failed to pick up young Andrea and Enzo from school, I thought it would be prudent to escort them home. What with the abductions and all? (laughs) She's got tartan everywhere. Apparently everybody knows about these abductions except for Bob. He must be uh, too busy gardening instead of guardianing. Seriously, what is Bob up to? Why aren't you paying attention to the news? Oh, you know what? He kicked Mike out, so... (laughs) That's true. (laughs) His only source of information. Uh, Last anybody heard, Dot was on her way to meet up with Al, so Bob storms off and Mouse makes babysitting arrangements. I like that this is still an old enough show that the cops eating donut joke (laughs) isn't (laughs) overplay. (laughs) It's evergreen. (laughs) Yeah, Mouse immediately does not want to be in charge of kids. She's got other plans. So uh, Bob bursts into Al's, and inside we see that seven, uh, some other strung-out customers, and then two of the most bored-looking binomes you've ever seen. They also look very professional binomes compared to the type that usually frequents Al's. Yes. And we also see a new waiter. Man, Al moves fast. And his new guy moves fast, too, because he's speeding along on rollerblades. Yeah, Bob's trying to question him, and he's like, be with you in a nano. This very obvious Cali stereotype going on right now. Yeah. So the waiter reveals that Dot never showed up to her meeting with Al, and the board binomes overhear this. You ask a lot of questions, Guardian. And introduce themselves as CGI special agents. Fax Modem and Data Nully. They've been sent by Fong to investigate the disappearance of Al's waiter. And is Fong not talking to Bob anymore? <laughs> but apparently their their investigation just means sitting around at the diner dropping eaves. We couldn't help overhearing you. You're looking for a missing person? Over in another back alley, we get to see Mike doing a newscast about the missing sprites. He even got his camera crew shaking in his boots with his scaremongering. Yeah, and the mouse is creeping around watching them, and so she talks into her arm to someone named Turbo, just as our creepy five walks by, and she says she's found another victim. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> also, how 90s is it to name a character Turbo? Turbo, turbo, turbo. (laughs) (laughs) So we cut back to uh, data and facts filling Bob in on their theory that Mouse is the one behind all the missing sprites. She's been on the scene or near it for each of the disappearances. And Modem believes that Mouse's fangs might mean that she's from the web. And so he relates a childhood story of his sister's disappearance by another fanged creature. Sounds awful familiar. I guess we'll talk about that later. (laughs) (laughs) so but the important detail is that it was hovering over his sister's bed and when he shined a flashlight at it both she and the creature disappeared uh don't forget he was reading comic bites at the time (laughs) we're dropping some real conspiracy theories though because he also believes that not only does the user not exist that's just induced mass psychosis engineered by the guardians but what about the games sent by the guardians to promote the user myth wake up sheeple (laughs) He would have fit right in in today's YouTube conspiracy theory world. (laughs) So Bob thinks Fong must not have interviewed Fax before giving him the job. But I mean, let's be honest, Fong totally interviewed Fax. 
<laughs> he's he's like yes like loose change over here <laughs> he is all about this he's like have you heard of giant robots <laughs> their conversation is interrupted by a breaking news alert there's been another attack and who's it been this time this time an innocent numeral number five who could have possibly seen that coming dun 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 <laughs> Uh, I did want to point out that Mike already had a milk carton with a missing five on it, like a good five minutes after he'd been missing. He was like printing it out. Like <laughs> Mike is on the scene, but soon he realizes that he's the only one still there. His entire film crew is gone. And soon enough, he gets taken as well by some screeching, tentacled menace. I really love the imagery here of the camera filming him. And like the limp binom arm coming into frame. Oh, yeah. Those, those good stuff. Back at Al's, uh, Fax is freaking out that he can hear the noise that the creature who abducted his sister made. And they all rush outside to find a mouse kneeling over the static field screen of Mike the TV. They point their guns at her, but she hisses and slices them apart with her katana. But she tells Bob to trust her and gives him a little kiss before running off. Bob, you're such a bad guardian. <laughs> just trust me if i kiss you then you can't arrest me right that's how that works <laughs> well baba decides to put a tracking device on her foot anyway and he leaves modem and nully there with mike while he dashes after mouse and uh they you know clink on his glass a little bit and he actually manages to wake up he starts freaking out and revealing that it was the light that saved me and nully points out that this is just like the incident with modem's sister so bob calls up fong and he's like hey you know what modem was right this is a web creature i can tell from all the poopy laying around and it's not mouse poopy either he finds a nest of his shed skin meaning that it's been growing and that the missing sprites must be its food so Mouse uh, finds herself in an abandoned building that's just dripping with poopy. She tells Turbo that she's going to free the mainframers, but he says to forget about them. Mouse is not all about that at all. She's going to free the mainframers and she hangs up on Turbo before even letting him finish. So she comes to an elevator shaft, jumps on, holding onto the cable as she slides down. And at the bottom, a null pops out from behind some garbage cans, revealing a strange room. In the room... A row of cocoons are in front of her, and you can see the mainframers through their uh, slightly transparent skin of the cocoon. And then finally, at the end, she finds Dot. Yeah, these cocoons are gross. They're like big mucus, like snot balls. Yeah, she manages to cut Dot free, and it gets worse from there because there's just tubes coming out of Dot everywhere. And when she slices at the tubes, the tubes scream, which is super creepy. (laughs) These, uh... Sacks were like feeding off of the, the sprites' energies. Together they free the others as Bob, Fox, and Data speed towards them. There's a grumbling from inside the building, and Dot tells everybody to run, but Mouse is sticking around. I've got to get proof that this thing exists. And Dot's like, I, it's okay, I saw it. I can, I'm telling you, it's real. I assure you. <laughs> so in order to give that proof, it sticks its head right through the wall and roars with this awful jaw that I hate. <laughs> And I mean, it's definitely grown since the last time we saw it. Last time it was this little like squid octopus sized weird tentacle thing. And now it's a room sized angler fish. Yeah, it's got giant teeth. Glowy eyes. This black awful tentacle creature floats into the room, grabs Dot again, pulling her towards its mouth. But just in time, the agents arrive and shine their flashlights at the beast, causing her to drop to safety. Right into Bob's arms. Aww. Bob tells Mouse to get Dot out, but Mouse has her own mission. 
She immediately calls up Turbo saying she has visual confirmation and we get to see a room of shadowy figures discussing the Class M creature with portal forming abilities. One of them looks like uh, Zap Brannigan. <laughs> he does! I didn't even notice that. He really does. So uh, so Bob is pissed the mouse is working for Turbo and she thinks that they're going to help them out. But Bob's like, no, 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 no. Not these guardians. You know what the protocol is for this type of creature? Destroying the sector. Oops. She was trying this time. So Bob asks what the Guardians gave Mouse, and she holds up a little communicator. Uh, he grabs it and uses Glitch to find a tiny nuclear code bomb inside. It's got like a little nuclear symbol on it. And rushes to get the bomb out. Meanwhile, back in the Guardians table, we see a digital hourglass start to count down. And Turbo's like, all right, this is all I can give you, buddy. And he flips it over and resets the timer. Yeah, just a couple extra seconds for you. It ended up working a little bit. I like that he has to do that in private, though. He like sends everybody away. He's like, I, I want to be alone for this. So we get to see the Turbo, you know, is bending the rules a little bit for Bob. They must have some history together. So Fax Modem and Data Nelly are there trying to hold the creature at bay with tiny flashlights, but thankfully the CPUs arrive with extra giant flashlights to corral the virus, while Bob zipboards like he's never zipboarded before. See ya! <laughs> and when he asks Glitch for what the safe distance would be, his eyes go wide and he's like, crap! <laughs> The rest of Mainframe looks on as he takes the explosive high into the sky and erupts in a huge blast. R.I.P. Bob. We got this like little montage of citizens of Mainframe going on with their innocent lives, unaware of the destruction about to befall them. And Bob is dead, apparently. Yeah, they try to call him. They can't get him on the phone. He must be dead. Man, what a season ender. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what's this? A tear appears in the sky just where Bob was, and the creature is now interested. Yeah, he freaks out, bursts through the ceiling, and heads straight for the terror. Enzo, Andrea, and Fong are watching the terror in a vid window. The terror is so large that they can barely see anything but the terror in the vid window. And Bob's voice comes crackling through. And uh, once, once he comes in, Fong lets Bob know that the creature's escaped. And he's like, oh no! <laughs> this is a portal forming class M! <laughs> and sure enough, the creature does reach the tear and creates a portal into the web. Yeah, which is kind of this psychedelic tentacle thing. It was really cool looking. I like the visual there. But everyone looks on in horror as the portal hovers ominously overhead. We see Nolly. The web is out there. No, Modem. It's here. And Bob calls up Fong and tells him to prepare for war. Remit! So, what'd you think of this episode? <laughs> it was a, it was a really fun one. I, uh, I liked it. Something that tends to happen a lot when I watch these is I'll uh, pause it and walk away and come back to finish it, you know, a few times. Mm -hmm. But uh, this time I, I really couldn't find a good moment to stop it. It just kept going. It was pretty consistently entertained. <laughs> I really enjoyed the mood that they set up in here. Like, you really felt what they were trying to bring in with that horror movie aspect, that kind of alien, the movie, not the creature feel of being watched in the dark back alleys and the kind of, you know, different horror movie tropes that they were doing. I thought that was really fun and I thought they did it really well. And all the X-Files stuff. I mean, this was right in the prime of X-Files fever. I did notice this one didn't really feel as much like a direct sequel to the one before. Like, you could have almost put this one anywhere in the season, like, and it could have stayed alone. Yeah, we could have had 
maybe uh, the web creature escape earlier and then maybe one or two disappearances and no one's really commenting kind of thing and then stringing along for a while before popping this one in. Which, you know, in a longer season, that might have been pretty cool. But I was really happy with the way this episode turned out. No, yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed it. And we're setting it up for the big season finale, which, I mean, I think you can tell from Bob's very concerned tone here, war is upon us. I would laugh if it was just another, like, uh, Enzo the Smart. You know? <laughs> <laughs> now, from here on out, I remember the episodes a lot better, and I can assure you, it is no Enzo the Smart. <laughs> oh. I know you're disappointed. Uh, so what did you think of the Guardian Council? So that was interesting, yeah, because we haven't seen any of the other Guardians beside him, and to get this sense that they're kind of this, like, shadowy cabal, you know, that they're gonna, they don't really care so much about preserving the mainframe as, like, they just want to get rid of the threats by any means necessary. Yeah, they definitely don't seem to mind bombing a whole city, which it, it very reminiscent to me of the first Avengers movie, where they're just like, yeah, we can nuke New York if it means getting rid of the aliens. <laughs> so it makes uh, Bob the uh, Nick Fury. <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> I guess he... No, Enzo gets the eye patch. <laughs> you never know what might happen next. It could be eye patches all around. <laughs> you get an eye patch, and you get an eye patch. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Mouse, now that we've seen a little bit more of her character? I think um, I'm getting used to her. I don't know if she's growing on me or not, but uh, not quite as put off. <laughs> There's, it's still like, especially in this episode, the animation of the, her static hair, and then in combination with like the flashing lights that were like strobing throughout the episode, it was like kind of hard on the eyes for lots of it. Gotcha. But I mean, as far as her character, you know, yeah, I don't find her quite as abrasive, I guess. I enjoyed that they tried giving her a little character growth. She kind of went out of her way to say, all right, last time I worked for a virus, things went sour, I've got to step up my game a little bit. I'll go work for the Guardians. It'll be fine. I feel bad that she <laughs> she ended up stepping into the same problem that she had last time. But. <laughs> and she's definitely not just looking out for herself anymore, you know? She's helping Dot out, you know? and Yeah, she wasn't leaving without those mainframers. She, you know, shows a good moral backbone. Way to go, Mouse. They didn't give uh, Andrea much to do this time. She thinks she's in, like, exactly, like, one frame of the episode. <laughs> Don't worry. She'll pop up more. <laughs> Alphanumeric! So lay some bits and bites on me, Jessica. What do we got? All right. So we'll start with the very obvious. This whole episode is X-Files, X-Files, X-Files. Triple X-Files. So Trust No One is the name of the episode. Trust No One was one of the major themes slash catchphrases of the X-Files, popularized by the smoking man, I believe. So if you were an X-Files fan, Trust No One is, is definitely what you would be saying. Uh, we get the characters of Data Nully and Fax Modem. And Data Nully is voiced by Jillian Anderson. They actually got the real Scully. Yeah, so I had to look this up because I was sitting to myself like, how did they manage to get Scully on this, this kid's TV show? So her husband at the time, her first husband, actually worked for Reboot. He was an art director on Reboot. Oh, nice. Yeah, so she apparently enjoyed the show and decided to appear for the cameo here, which was really fun. So I wonder which came first. You know, did they? Uh, did she say, hey, you know, I like this Reboot show and they find a way to put her on? Or did they write the episode and then ask her, hey, do you want to come on? <laughs> I've got a feeling since we got a giant number of nerds on this show that they were just like, you're married to Scully. We are writing an episode. We are getting her on the show. It's happening. <laughs> 
Now, did you watch X-Files? Were you a fan? I did not watch X-Files at the time. Um, I did not like scary things. Yeah, it's one of those I haven't seen either. It's like, I think it was slightly before my time, like at the age that it was airing. I have since watched a lot of X-Files, not all the way through and not all of it. But I, my one reboot fanatic roommate was also an X-Files fanatic. So I would watch a lot of random episodes with her. Um, and then my husband and I tried to do an X-Files watch through at one point with some of those episodes. They're tough, man. (laughs) (laughs) But in addition to uh, the actual characters, we also get Mulder's actual backstory in the form of Fax Modem. So Mulder's backstory was that he watched his sister be abducted by an alien, which has influenced his life to the point that he became this conspiracy theory FBI agent. In the show, we get to see Fax Modem is the one that watched his sister get abducted by a web creature, which has influenced his web (laughs) conspiracy theories, uh, which is actually pretty cool. So Fax Modem was voiced by Scott McNeil. He's going to probably come back because he's also the voice of our rollerblading new waiter. And additionally, uh, we got Gary Chalk, who is, while he's the voice of Al's normal waiter, uh, is the voice of Turbo here. And then we also get a quick repeat of the appearance of Feathers McGraw from Wallace and Gromit. If you notice him in the crowd of that scene where we're seeing the normal everyday life of mainframers. No, I completely missed him. Yeah, he was waddling along there. They already have his model in there. I'm sure they'll reuse him a couple more times. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and then also, this is actually the first kiss we see on Reboot. Is it? According to the wiki, it is. So the first on-screen kiss. No, I'm like thinking back like I, I i'm thinking in my head like dot and bob have definitely kissed and so have enzo and andrea but maybe not i don't know <laughs> oh enzo and andrea definitely not maybe like a kiss on the cheek not even no. uh possibly on the cheek but not you know kiss kiss so no game as this episode was basically one big parody right yep and uh, my suggestion is to go watch some X Files if you're real interested. <laughs> there's actually a very good. I'll do a recommendation real quick. Uh, there's a fun podcast by Camille Nanjiani. Oh yeah. Uh, called the X Files Files, in which he goes through all the episodes of the X Files. So if you want to watch the series, it could be a fun thing to to watch the series and then listen to the episode as you go along. Which I'm assuming a lot of people are kind of doing with ours as well. So right, that's what I'm doing with Star Trek too. So. <laughs> All right, so it looks like uh, you asked uh, people to submit their own conspiracy theories, and we get uh, Kimura uh, wrote down that they think that the net is a user-designed prototype of a system similar to Tron's grid. The users equal gods thing was ingrained into the cultural code to ensure visiting users would be respected properly. Games are meant to be entertainment. Nullification is merely a glitch. I think I could buy that, that they're kind of like making this, you know, VR-ish world they're using for entertainment so do we think in this in this conspiracy theory that the users go anywhere outside the game like do they enter mainframe and do that or is it just they've created this world to populate their games i guess is the the big question here it's a headier question than i was expecting (laughs) (laughs) yeah you mean you would think if the user can provide games that he could also provide other things like spreadsheets and they you know and let them know what gnats and suns are right yeah uh we also got a conspiracy theory from aaron ike on facebook so like many people this episode is one of his absolute favorites 
Uh, he loved seeing the Guardians, the web creatures, etc. He was really sad that we couldn't get David Duchovny to play the part of Fax Modem, but I guess their influence only went so far there. <laughs> uh, but he says... The web creature is described as a plus and capable of portal forming. Uh, we know that it can open a portal to the web, but could it open a portal to the net? Could Megabyte have tried to capture the web creature and get to the supercomputer? So last time we saw Megabyte, he was possessed, essentially, by this web creature and then shot back to his home. So I'm guessing he feels a little under the weather at the moment. <laughs> so... Had he been healthy, yeah, I think he totally would have tried. Yeah, I'm still I'm still not even sure what the difference between the web and the net is at this point. Yeah, they really haven't explained it in the show. So the web is kind of this, I don't know, wild, harsh kind of world where there's, you know, these weird creatures and you as a sprite would like degrade um, and they eventually cease to exist or become a web creature. <laughs> where the net is just the net it's you know you go through it on the ships and you find other computers and it's a safe path it's the train to the old west there <laughs> so i think i think megabyte definitely would have tried to use it to get to the net whether or not he would have succeeded i mean megabyte doesn't have the best track record so <laughs> no hex could probably do it though oh yeah hex could totally do it in fact she probably did off screen <laughs> so nolan hayes on twitter says Okay, here's an idea I had for a story about untouched aspects of the reboot universe. In the early days of computing and networking, there was a conflict between the ancient codemasters and sprites, some of whom decided to be reformatted into what became the Guardian key tools. So, like, Glitch is a codemaster? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, then Glitch is sentient in a way, that he is a reformatted sprite or codemaster that's been created to use as a tool. Interesting. What does that make Frisket? <laughs> I think that makes him a dog. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a pretty interesting idea. I've read stories. Uh, there's a Brandon Sanderson story with a sentient sword that is pretty fun. He always wants to kill evildoers, but he doesn't actually know what an evildoer is. <laughs> uh, we also had William Burton on Facebook uh, letting us know that this episode gave him nightmares as a kid. And his frosty moment for this episode is when Mike was interviewing his innocent bystander. They said, I didn't see anything. And he goes, well, there you have it. An invisible assailant. Or maybe I interviewed the wrong person. You decide. <laughs> it's a good moment, William. This is wrong. This is all wrong. Speaking of frosty moments, did you yourself find a frosty moment this week? I did. So this was overall a really great episode. Uh, it's hard to like narrow down a couple of moments that really stood out to me. One that was kind of weird, but I really liked was Nelly banging on Mike's glass to wake him up. That little like ting, ting, ting sound of an old TV. <laughs> but I think my frosty moment here is actually a beautiful moment of acting. Mouse sees this empty elevator shaft with the cable going down. She takes a deep breath jumps on the cable. You can see on her face that she's not sure if it's going to hold. After she grabs onto it, she like is holding onto it tightly for a second, bracing herself for the fall. And then she looks down and sighs and starts going. And I was just really impressed with the acting at that moment. Like I feel like a lot of the acting has been pretty cut and dry uh, up until now. And they gave her like a lot of emotions to go through here that you know, when you have a time limit and you're trying to get through this episode as fast as you can, a lot of times you don't spend that time to give them that extra little bits. 
you know, they did. They have her giving like a couple different breaths and like her facial expressions. I thought they did a really good job. They could have easily had her jump down the shaft with no problem. Instead, they gave her this this good acting moment, which I enjoyed. You know, I wish I remembered what scene it was, but I did. That specifically stuck out to me too, where she kind of like does this. It wasn't like quite a dance, but like her body was moving in a certain way in a scene that was clearly, yeah, like it wasn't just her standing still and motionless. Like they made a point of giving her some added motion in the scene. It wasn't necessary for the scene, but it added some flavor. Yes, it's one of the things I enjoy about like Studio Ghibli films is you'll have someone doing these extra motions which aren't necessary but really bring to life the characters. What about you? What is your costume moment for today? My uh, runner-up this week is it was a funny gag in um, at the diner when uh, the junior officer says, there's been another abduction and it's Al's waiter. And then the chief goes, what? <laughs> you caught that too. <laughs> I thought that line was great. I was so happy they did that. Yeah. But for my frostiest moment, it's got to go to the jaw on that creature when it bursts through the uh, door that first time. Ooh, yeah. Uh, like, it's a really, really gross effect, and it kind of creeped me out quite a bit. Yeah, they definitely did a good job, and I can see why it would give some kids nightmares if they were watching this for the first time. <laughs> All right, so, Jess, that's another episode down do you have anything you want to recommend for our listeners this week yeah uh recently i started rereading a book series that i really enjoy so i'm going to recommend it out to some people if you haven't taken a look at it yet it's called the broken earth trilogy it's by nk jemison the first book in the series is called the fifth season it's kind of this sort of post-apocalyptic sort of fantasy world it's really interesting it's kind of hard to describe but it's, it's very very good uh, you've got these people with this immense power to be able to control seismic activity, but because they have this immense power and there's so few of them, the culture doesn't let them pretty much exist. They either have to exist in this government-controlled kind of uh, existence or not at all. Uh, they're killed outright. So there's this whole thing with like a sentient earth and like it's really the story of this mother and her daughter and it's really good and fascinating and something really new, which is why it's so hard to like describe and, and fit into a certain box. Um, but it's very good and I highly recommend it. You should totally check it out. Fifth Season by N.K. Jemison, and then the two following ones of the Broken Earth trilogy. All right. Well, I think that's about going to do it for us this week. You can always find us online at the usual places. We are Incoming Game Pod on Twitter, Incoming Game Cast on Facebook, and IncomingGameCast.com. You can find me online at Dudworks, D-U-D-W-O-R-K-S. Uh, that's on Twitter, Facebook, and .com. And you can find me online at Stirvina Lady, S-T-I-R-V-I-N-O Lady. We also want to thank Kevin McLeod for the use of our theme music, Spasmatic Apulka. And uh, before we go, have I ever told you about my conspiracy theory about this show? No, you haven't. Please spill. Frisket is the true villain, and they'll tell you why. Uh, stay frosty, folks. No, don't, no, don't, don't talk over me. We're going to hash this out. <laughs> User wins. Sorry. <laughs> I, just, I wrote the word poopy so many times. <laughs>